a day like All Saints Day invites us to ask difficult questions. Questions about why is there loss and suffering and heartbreak in the world? Why do we have to confront the painful reality of death? Today, as we light these candles and speak the names of those who have died, we are inevitably forced to ask these types of questions. Why did God allow for this to happen? Why are we lighting a candle for a loved one rather than sitting next to them, rather than spending time with them, rather than hearing their voice and knowing their love in our lives? Death brings up a lot of difficult questions for us and even more difficult emotions. And frankly, it's always been that way. Since the beginning of time, people have been trying to make sense of tragedy and loss because so much of it is just unknown and unknowable. The book of Job was written thousands of years ago to try and help people who struggle with these questions. Job is part of a collection of books in the Bible often referred to as wisdom literature. Scholars agree that Job and the other wisdom texts were written in order to challenge the traditional assumptions of the day. And that's exactly what's happening in our passage from Job that we just heard. In the chapters leading up to this short passage that Vicky read for us, Job's friends tell him that he must be experiencing so much pain in his life because of something he's done wrong. They tell Job that his grief and loss are God's way of punishing him for sinful behavior. This is what Job's friends say to him. But in this short passage from chapter 19 that we just heard, we hear Job's reply to these accusations. Job is adamant that he does not deserve this grief and suffering. He is telling his friends that from now until the end of time when his flesh has gone away, he will continue to shout out against God and maintain his innocence. He has done nothing wrong. He does not deserve the pain. And that's part of why we call Job wisdom literature. Because we often assume that we're not supposed to talk to God like that. We assume that Job's harsh words to God are inappropriate. But the wisdom of Job reveals to us that it's okay to yell at God. In fact, this might be one of the best ways for us to deal with our grief because it allows us to really feel the pain and to not avoid it or ignore it, but rather to express it and hand it over to our God who can handle something as messy and raw as our grief. But Job has even more wisdom to share with us because the entire book serves to make a specific point very clear. Tragedy is not a punishment from God. Job's friends are not correct. Job did not lose everything because God needed to punish him. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, God speaks and sides with Job, not his friends. God affirms that Job has done nothing wrong, that he did nothing to deserve the terrible pain he's had to endure. The assumption that Job's friends make and that we unfortunately also make still today that the death of a loved one 
is somehow some kind of punishment from God. That is simply not true. That the book of Job does want us to hear is that suffering and loss are realities in this life. But they aren't divine punishment. Rather, they are more than anything just painful reminders of our fragile human existence. Death awaits us all. And this large mystery looms over all of us and is often so hard to face. But we don't face it alone. The book of Job is wisdom literature written specifically for a community of faith. And what makes All Saints Day so powerful and so important is that on this day, we're invited to face the monster of death within the container of this community, within the container of our shared faith. We will still carry questions about why our loved one died when they did. There's still tension and pain and heartache within us as we remember all of the loss we've experienced this last year. But as a community of faith, we tell a story that is bigger than death. We carry the future promises of God into this present moment of grief. That's what we're doing here today. Just like Job, we're gathered to lament, to cry out. But as a community of faith, we're also here to remind one another of what God's promised us. To use the words of Job, we know that our Redeemer lives. We know that at the last we shall see God face to face because God's not interested in punishing us. No, God is interested in loving us. Loving us now as we mourn and loving us into the promised future. Loving us long after even our deaths. For to God, all of them are alive. This is a powerful line that Jesus delivers at the end of our gospel reading. For to God, all of them are alive. In the Bible, Jesus actually says very little about heaven and the afterlife. He does not ever provide us with details and descriptions about the pearly gates. In fact, most of the commonly held beliefs we have about heaven, including those pearly gates, are from various novels and movies and commercials that we've seen. Nowhere in scripture does it say that there will be angels sitting on clouds playing harps and eating cream cheese. So what can we know about heaven then? That question is the premise for our gospel reading that we just heard. The Sadducees were a group of Jewish people who, as the text tells us in verse 27, did not believe in the resurrection. In fact, the Sadducees would often get into arguments about life after death with another group of Jews called the Pharisees. And this is a really important detail for us to know, a little bit of background information, because you see, the Sadducees likely came to Jesus, not because they wanted to trick Jesus, but because they wanted to score points against the Pharisees. 
They come to Jesus, who's this hot new rabbi in town that everyone is listening to, and they ask him a truly absurd question in hopes that he will side with them, with the Sadducees, and say to all the people in the temple that day that there is no life after death because look how complicated it would be. The scene kind of goes like this. The Sadducees come to Jesus and they say, okay, 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 okay. What if, what if there was this guy who's married and he dies? And and so his wife now, according to Jewish law, has to marry the guy's brother. And so she does, but this guy's brother also dies. But wait, there's another brother. And so she marries him and it happens again. And this all keeps happening with marriages and death. And no one gets at all suspicious for some reason about why the brothers keep dying. But anyways, there's seven of them. And so they all get to heaven. And there's this really crazy, awkward family reunion because there's seven brothers and the wife has married every single one. And so Jesus tell us what happens next. You see, the Sadducees, don't really care about an answer to their question. They just want to design the most ridiculous situation that frankly wouldn't even fly on an episode of Mari. But Jesus isn't playing their game and he doesn't want us to play this game either. Heaven isn't anything like this world, Jesus says. You can cook up all sorts of crazy scenarios and elaborate ideas, but heaven isn't going to be anything like this reality. I wonder if Jesus would say the same thing to us today as we try to describe heaven as a place with clouds and angels and harps and cream cheese. We want to know what heaven is like. We want to know how it works. But I don't think we ever really can because we're talking about a place that is entirely within the realm of God. It's a place that doesn't work like things do here on earth. There is no time in heaven, certainly no daylight savings time. There's no laws of physics in heaven. There's no death in heaven. In short, we can't understand what it's going to be like with our tiny human brains. And so questions like the Sadducees about the logistics of heaven just miss the point. In this reality, and this world, death feels like a terrible ending to us. But I don't think God sees it that way at all. It's not an ending to God. It's a transition from one reality to the next. And I don't exactly know how that works. Even if God told me, I don't think I'd understand it. And I got to believe that that's probably why Jesus said so little about heaven because he knew we'd never be able to wrap our minds around it. I do believe, though, that Jesus did show us and tell us what we could comprehend. And more than that, Jesus told us what we needed to hear most. And that's why he said, to God, all of them are alive. It's hard for our minds to even comprehend that statement. But as we stare down death today and remember our loss, as we look at these candles and think about who each flame represents, I pray that we'll find the faith to believe what Jesus has shown us and told us. As we remember all the saints who have gone before us, may we have the faith here today to say, to God, 
all of them are alive. Amen.